Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome this morning as we dive into God's Word, as we listen to His Word. My prayer is that we would be responsive, that our hearts will be filled with, with joy as we understand what He has to show us. We live in times when there is much suffering and pain and sorrow and confusion. And maybe that's not how you feel right now. Some of you might be not feeling that exactly right now, but we live in a world that is in great anguish. And the future looks hard. Life is not easy for many people around the world. People are starving, there are riots everywhere. There's racial unrest and injustice, exploitation of every kind. COVID infections are going up and rising everywhere around the world and people are dying. And all the things that were bad before COVID are in some senses worse now. I'll just give you a list here. Hunger and starvation, there is a hunger pandemic as food insecurity is worsening and the increase of critical levels of hunger worldwide could be up from 82% from 2019. Racism and injustice is, is, is permeating our society and, and there doesn't seem to be an end. There's sexual exploitation everywhere. Wars and rumors of wars Riots and brutality experienced in Nigeria, Ethiopia, Belarus, U.S., and even in Canada. Factions and anger and envy. There's greed and oppression of the poor. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. In the midst of all the struggles that we've had in the past 10 months, there's marital and family problems as a result of being isolated and uh, and tensions are rising in the home because we're spending more time with our loved ones. There's also domestic abuse and child abuse, substance abuse and addiction has been on the rise. Mental health issues because of social isolation. There's so much fear. And sometimes I pray and ask God, oh Lord, when will you take away the fear? COVID, our health, our freedoms, our prosperities, our stocks, our homes, our savings, our relationships, our families, our way of life, fear of losing out and fear of missing out. Oh Lord, how do you deal with these fears in our hearts? Some of you might ask the question, why do I start off with this introduction? It's because we need to see the reality of not just our lives, but the lives of those around us, the, the, the lives of those around us in, in this world. We need to look around us and see the turmoil and pain. And, and in essence, we have to ask the question, is it worth it? Is living in this world worth it? I'd rather be somewhere else. I mean, maybe that's how you feel today. But I wasn't told to, to, to give you bad news this morning. I was very hopeful and, and am hopeful to turn in the Bible together to give you truths from scriptures, to give you good news. 
You see, in God's amazing wisdom, he taught us how to live in the midst of tumultuous times. He taught us to live by the power of his spirit. And we can see this example in Paul's instructions during difficult times at the church of Ephesus. He says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Paul's desire was for the church at Ephesus to to understand what was going on, that, that the days are evil and that we are to make the most of our time because we need to walk according to his, according to God's purposes, according to God's will. In 1 Chronicles 12, verse 32, we see an example of of, uh, the tribe of Issachar, the sons of Issachar, understanding the days. It says here, um, of Issachar, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. 200 chiefs and all their kinsmen under their command. It was at this time that David was anointed king and then The tribes of Israel came together and went to battle for him against Saul. And so this is the the reality of our life. We need to understand our times. We need to understand what we're battling against. We need to stand up and stand firm. You see, more than ever before, the spiritual lifeline of the church must be prayer. You know, before we get into all of these topics of how, how we're supposed to live, how we're supposed to um, understand the times, how to make the best use of our time, we must understand what it means to pray. God calls us to prayer. It's the spiritual lifeline of the church, and it's going to be prayer. It has been prayer in the past, and it's going to continue to be prayer. And I so appreciate Pastor Ted and the elders as they've been yearning and calling out to God for wisdom and understanding. And the first thing that they do is is, is to call us to prayer. What an important, important thing. And we need to be treating this place, along with gatherings of brothers and sisters online, we need to be treating it as a house of prayer because Jesus calls his father a house of prayer. You see, we are just seeing more desperate measures now as we see things going downhill. But if we are to understand the times like the sons of Issachar, to stand up and be strong, and in the instructions of Paul to make the best use of our time, we need to first and foremost pray. I'm very excited to preach this message this morning because this is the lifeline of the individual. It's my lifeline. It's the lifeline of the family. And it's the spiritual lifeline of the church. Believe me, there is no other more important topic for the believer than the subject of prayer. John Piper likens it to breathing. It's like breathing. We all breathe so that we can live. But we do so subconsciously. We don't say to ourselves, I want to breathe 30 times in a minute. You just do it because your body knows and it keeps you alive. If you hold your breath, uh, your body starves itself for oxygen. And if you don't breathe soon, your body shuts down and you could possibly die. How do you know you are alive? 
Do you need to check your birth certificate and confirm, oh yes, I was born and that confirms that I'm alive. You never do that. You know you are alive because you are breathing and that keeps your heart beating. It's the same way for prayer. How do you know you are a Christian? How do you know you are a follower of Jesus? Loved ones, how do you know if you are alive or spiritually dead? It is for this very simple reason, prayer. Do you pray? Do you believe it is your lifeline? Do you believe it is your time now to rise up and pray and establish a relationship with God in a more personal way in worship and obedience to him through prayer? Do you believe it is the source of spiritual vitality? Do you believe that this is very important for your life now and into the future? And in order to answer this question, I'm going to give you three simple points about prayer that are drawn from the scriptures. See, like, what is prayer? And we have to kind of define it according to the word of God, and hopefully this will give you motivation to understand how to pray. The heart of prayer is to seek God. That's the first point. The heart of prayer is to seek God. You see, Jesus told us that we if we're to seek the kingdom of God, we, it, it'll be just like that man who found a treasure in the field and he went out and he bought that field in order to obtain that treasure. Seeking God is going to God. Seeking God is acknowledging him. It's one thing to, to, to wait for the Lord, as it says in Psalm 40, but it's another thing to seek God. God wants a dynamic relationship with you. He wants the relationship with you that so it's back and forth and back and forth. He doesn't just tell you what to do and who he is. He wants you to know who he is. And he wants you to reflect that in your prayer. And so seeking God is so important for us. Going to God. Seeking him. Honoring him. You see, he knows your prayer before you pray it. But it is sweetness to his ears when he hears your cry for help. When you seek him with all your heart. When we pray, we worship God. When we worship God, we are satisfied and he is glorified. Therefore, God is happy and pleased when we pray with a sincere heart. Because it brings him much glory. It brings him much glory. God is worthy to be sought. He is a treasure. He is our Lord. He is totally other and holy. He is completely sovereign over all. And he is in control over the things of this world. Especially what is happening now. So we need to go to him because he is worthy. He is worthy of our trust. He is worthy to be sought. But we don't go to him just because he is worthy we go to him because he came to us first. That's what makes him worthy. He came down to this earth 2,000 years ago through his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for our sin, to take the penalty for what we deserve and to take away our shame, guilt, and sin and to give us a brand new life of forgiveness and eternal life. That is the hope that we have in Christ. That's what God did for us. 
He came and sought us. He sought us. So out of reflection and out of worship and out of complete surrender to him, we seek him. We seek him with all of our heart. Scriptures talk about this all over the Psalms. It says here in Psalm uh, 9 verse 10, And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. There's a stamp of approval to those who seek God. And one thing I have asked of the Lord that I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. This is the heart cry of the author, that he would dwell in the presence of God, that he would be with God. That's all that mattered to him. That's why he sought the Lord in prayer. That's why this psalm exists. Psalm 34, verse 10. The, long, the, the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. You see, young lions are very strong. And you think, you know, after watching National Geographic a few times, you think, yeah, there's nothing that can defeat them, right? Yeah, but they are still hungry. But those who seek the Lord, they will lack no good thing because those who seek the Lord will be fully satisfied. And it's this morning that I want to ask you, are you satisfied in God and have you sought him? Because he will satisfy you. He will satisfy you. And oh, oh God, it says here, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. As in a dry and weary land where there is no water. This is one of my favorite verses. Earnestly I seek you. You see, when you go into desert, you're not going to walk a few steps and you're really thirsty. You don't walk a few steps and say, well, I guess I don't see any water here. I'm just going to sit down and wait for it to come. When is it going to rain? You're not going to do that. If you're thirsty, you're going to go and you're going to walk and you're going to walk till you drop because you know that you need water. You, you're not going to look at an oasis and you're going to be like, yeah, you know what, that's a little bit too far. I don't think, you know, I, 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 not, it's too hot right now. No, you're not going to make any excuses. No excuses. You're going to go, I'm going to go there because that's what I want. That's what I need. That's where I'm going to get it. And, he, and the author says here, oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. The object of our prayer is God. Is God himself. It's not the answer to our prayer. It's not the fixing of our problems. We don't use God as a crutch to come to, to, you know, to a conclusion about anything as, 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 as we pray. We pray because we want God. We want God because we want to know him. We want to seek him. We want to truly experience his power in our lives. Psalm 105 verse 3 to 4 says this. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. There's a joy when, it's, when, when you come to seek God. 
Jeremiah 29, verse 10 to 15 says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. It's definitive. When we call upon him, when we pray to him with a sincere heart, when we seek him, the definitive answer is that he will hear us. He will hear us. According to his word, he will hear our cry. And maybe some of you this morning are feeling like, Lord, I just can't, I just don't know if you hear me because I have been praying for this for so long. And brothers and sisters and those watching online right now, I I really hope that you know this, that God hears your cry and that he will answer according to his way and his purposes, according to his word. But you got to trust him. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me and you will, when you seek me with all your heart and I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile, into exile. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all your heart. With all your heart. God again says definitively, you will find me. You will find me. See, the the heart of prayer is to seek God. Is to seek God. When I was at Moody Bible Institute, I remember... uh, the second floor, the second floor uh, of my residence. And uh, I just remember there was a two by four closet that I just would go to all the time. I was just, I, I knew a lot about God because through the classes, through all the teaching and the training and everything, I was like, I know a lot about you, Lord. I know that you're, you're, you're teaching me things, but I wanted to reflect to him what I was truly learning. And so I just sought the Lord. I sought the Lord and I was, it was during those times that it was precious to me because I was confirming so much of what I was learning in my experience and through the textbook and through the word of God. You know, sometimes when we open up the Bible, what we need to do is not just read it. We need to say, Lord, help me to seek you and to seek your face and to know you. Which leads me to my next point. The purpose of prayer is to know God is to know God. The purpose of prayer is to know God, to know the Lord. You see, when you seek him, you begin to want to know him more. You want to know how precious he is, why he is who he is, and what he's doing in this world, and what he's doing in my life and in your life. You want to know that. So the the question in, in your mind as you pray is, I want to know you, Lord, and I want to know what glorifies you. You see, for the believer, that is the goal of prayer. That is the purpose of prayer. I, uh, I met Andre Agassi uh, once in person and spent 10 minutes talking to him. It's probably one of the best uh, conversations I've had with anybody who's famous. Uh, I've never, I never realized I could talk with him for 10 minutes, just me and him. 
um, I was in the airport, and he was there with his uh, agent, and, uh, and he was in Toronto. And then he started sharing with me why he was in Toronto. He was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in Toronto because I'm, I'm advertising a book. And, and, and this was, you know, this is the reason why I wrote this book. And, you know, this is why Steffi Graf and I have, you know, uh, you know, talked about these type of things. And it was just, it was amazing. And for, oh, sorry, for those of you who don't know Andre, I guess he's a tennis player. And he's, uh, he's one of my favorite tennis players. And you see, I've, I've been watching Andre for many years. I've been reading a lot of, about him. I've been reading articles of, about him. But it was so different when I actually walked up to him and said, uh, uh, excuse me, are you Andre Agassi? It was kind of a little awkward to ask that question. But he, uh, he said yes, and, then, and we just had a great conversation. You see, I can't really say that I truly, like, I, 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 I know Andre Agassi unless I actually face-to-face have this conversation with him. I knew about him. But now I get a chance to really get to know him a little bit better. And so this is, this is, this is the very same way with us and God. We need, to be, we need to be praying because since God knows everything about us, we need to be reflecting that towards him. We need to have that conversation with him. Turn in your Bibles to Psalm 139. Psalm 139 is reflective of this relationship. Psalm 139 has three different portions in the text uh, that show us the character of God, that God is to be known. First is this, that God is omniscient, that he is all-knowing. From verse 1 to verse 6, it speaks of this, right? You know, David says, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and you are acquainted with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind before such knowledge is too wonderful for me because God is omniscient. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. And not only this, David also proclaims that um, that God is omnipresent. He's all present everywhere. Notice what it says in verse 7. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings in the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even then your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You see, these are all your descriptions of the omnipresence of God. And yet in this passage, he's, he's declaring, he's declaring who God is. He's declaring it as a prayer. And in verse, uh, verse 13, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it well. You see, <laughs> God is so powerful that he created the world in six days. And then at the pinnacle of his creation, he created man and woman. He created Adam and Eve. And the amazing thing about this is that out of all the people, out of all the things that he made, God created us so that we can know him. And that we can know him, that we can have a relationship with him, and that we can pray, and that we can worship him, and that we can ultimately know his purpose and his plan for our lives. This is our God. This is our God. 
He's all powerful. He is all present and he is all knowing. But in this text, it's personal too. It's not just theological as you see in this description. So to know God and to be known by God is something that we see in verse 1 and verse 23 and 24. Psalm 139 verse 1 says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. It's, it's, an, it's a declaration of something that has happened in the past and is continuing to happen in the present. He's making a declaration. This is something that he knows of God. And so often we forget that God really knows us. He knows our pain. He knows your pain. That's the nature of his knowledge because he's omniscient. He knows that you're here right now. He knows what you're going through. He knows the thoughts that are going on in your mind. He knows what emotional struggles you've had this week. He knows the relational issues that have been going on. He knows the financial situation you're in. He knows you. He knows you. That's a declaration of who he is, his omniscience. You see, this prayer by David is a, is a back and forth kind of prayer because he wanted to ask, he wanted God to know that he knows that God knows him. He wants God to know that he recognizes God's omniscience, his omnipresence and his omnipotence. And that's why at the very end, it says here in verse 23 to 24, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. He is asking God to do an even greater work in his life. Amen? You see, this is the power of prayer. The power of prayer is not just acknowledging what we know about God and who he is and his purposes, but it is acknowledging the fact that he has a grand purpose for your life. And here David is saying, Know my heart. I want to walk in your path. I want to walk in your way everlasting. So if anything gets in the way, let me know. Let me know. Let me know. Brothers and sisters, we should be praying like this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. And know my thoughts, O oh God, and see if there be any wicked way in me. A way that is wrong, a thinking that is presumptuous. An attitude in my mind and heart that is divisive. O oh God, search my heart so that I know your thoughts. That, brothers and sisters, is so important in prayer. So important. Not only should we know and be known by him, but we also need to know his perfect will. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5 to 15 says this. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received the reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is, sees, 
in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows. He knows what you need before you ask him. So if he knows what you need before you ask him, then how should you pray? Well, here's the next verse, verse 9. Pray then like this. O our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. There's two parts to this prayer, right? One is the declaration of God's sovereignty and his control and his will. His perfect will. That doesn't change. That should never change in prayer. You should always be asking God, Lord, may you reveal more of your will now. And through your word, as we look at your word, may you help us to see more of your will, your perfect will. That doesn't change. That prayer should be there until the very day we die. We continue to ask him, your kingdom come, your will be done as it is on earth, as it is in heaven. But there's a second part to this, and this is a personal part. And this personal part allows us to see more of who we are. We're needy. We need daily bread, oh God. We need to forgive. We need his forgiveness. We need to be protected from temptation. And if we fall, or when we fall, we need to be led out of evil. We need God to deliver us. This is the will of God. You see, in this passage, we see the perfect will of God for our lives. That's why it's called the disciples' prayer. That we could pray according to his will. According to his will. Finally, what is prayer? The power of prayer is to trust God. Is to trust God. This is the last point that I'm uh, going to make. There is no inherent power in prayer. But I believe in the power of prayer. If that makes sense. Prayer doesn't accomplish anything unless it is accompanied by trust. Trust is belief put into action. When we pray, we are putting into action our belief by asking God to accomplish and reveal things that he knows is good for us and glorifying to his name. Prayer, the power of prayer is in trusting God. Prayer is not duty, but delight in God. Prayer is not routine religiosity. It is daily dependence. It's not how many words you can say or whether or not you can wax eloquent in your prayer. You see, the Pharisees, <coughs> excuse, excuse me, the Pharisees did that, but they didn't get anywhere. God saw their hearts. Jesus saw their hearts. You see, in the very same way, God wants us to seek him. He wants us to know him and he wants us to trust him. God wants all of us he wants us to trust him, to depend upon him. That's how there's power 
in prayer. That's why there's power in prayer is because if we truly trust him, if we truly trust him, we'll see him work. Turn with me over to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9, verse 21. Mark, tw- uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 21, and we're going to go to verse 29. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when He had entered the house. His disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. I've had some trouble understanding this passage because in the very last part where Jesus says, this kind cannot be driven out, out by anything but prayer. The, the question that came to mind is like, where in this story do you see prayer? You see the crowds, you see them running away, you see the disciples trying to cast the demon out, and you see a lot of chaos, and you see the Father and having this conversation with Jesus. And you turn just to the slide before. Verse 24, immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. That was the prayer. That was the prayer. In the midst of all the chaos and people trying to find solutions and everything, what Jesus was listening to and what he was hearing was that father who cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. There was power in that prayer. It's, you know, let me, let me just be clear about this. I'm not, you know, for the word of faith movement or just out of, you know, um, name it, claim it kind of believism. No, I don't believe that because there's no inherent power in a person. There is inherent power in Jesus Christ. And when he chooses to answer according to his ways and his purposes, guess what? It's going to happen. Someone's going to get healed. Someone's going to get restored. Someone's going to get you know, get, get restored in the name of Jesus. Someone, because there is trust and there is power in that belief. The word belief and trust cannot be separated. It can't be divorced from one another. Belief and trust in the New Testament are one of the same thing. I trust, I believe, 
And that's why it says, I believe, but help my unbelief. Well, now, maybe you ask the question, like, what is he trying to say there? Seems to be a little bit of an oxymoron there when he makes the statement, like, I believe, but now help my unbelief. Well, what I believe he's saying, what I think he is saying, is that he is, he is saying that I believe in you. I believe that you are able to do this. But right now, I'm in a place right now that the world around me and the things around me and, and all that has happened in the past for my child has not worked. And so therefore, I am at a place where I cannot believe. I find it very hard to have faith. I find it very hard to trust you, Jesus. Help my unbelief. Wow. Even our unbelief is cause for us to ask for belief. We should have no shame, believers. We should have no shame or guilt when we ask God for faith. Because that is what he asks us to do. In Matthew, what does it say? Ask and you shall receive. Seeking you shall Find, right? Knocking the door should be open unto you. This is the, it's talking about prayer there. We need to ask God. We have forgotten that. First of all, we forget about how desperate we need to seek God in our daily lives. And second of all, we forget that so often we can know God through prayer. And third, we forget that we need to ask God for that trust. I don't know how many of you think, you know, you, you've been praying for a long time. And, and maybe you've been a believer for a long time. I mean, you've, been, you've been having moments of like great faith and, and moments that are not so great. But in every moment as, as life, the ebb and flows of life just keep going up and down as you begin to respond to God, the very thing that stays constant is that he is able to give you faith. Not just for salvation, but for everyday life. My dad taught me a lot of things. He's, he's taught me many things in life. And he's a spiritual mentor to me. And one of the things that he taught me was, Andrew, you cannot depend on your own faith in God. You need to depend on God for your faith. Ask Andrew, have you asked him? Not asked him what to do or, or you know, what job to get or, or this or that, answer, questions and answers. That's, that's good. You see, that's good. But the most important question that we should be asking is, am I having faith right now? And if I'm not, and if I struggle with unbelief, Lord, help my unbelief. And maybe you're going through something right now. Maybe it's just like you just have a moment where you're like, I've known you for so long, God. But, but, but I just, in my heart, I just cannot have faith. I don't know why it's so hard to believe you and trust you at this time. Cry out to God. Ask him for that faith and he will give it to you. You see, the answer to that prayer that this man had in Mark 9 came not as a form of I'm helping you with your faith. Now you actually have um, more faith right now. Jesus is not saying that directly to him. It came in the form of the miracle. It came in the form of now you see, now you see. That's how he helped him to believe. And to have faith. 
That's how God answers if we ask him, simply ask him for faith. You see, trust is an all attitude of denying yourself and turning to God in every situation and hoping in him to work out your life instead of you working out your own. Trusting God is leaning upon him. The power of prayer is not found in eloquence of speech or cohesive nature of prayer. It's not because of the big words we use or the theological concepts that puzzle us. It is found in the corner places of silence, in the places where we are like asking God, God help me, calling out to him, seeking him, and trusting him. So the heart of prayer is to seek God. Know that there's nothing more important than to seek God because when you seek God, then you will know how to talk to him. And the purpose of prayer is to know his divine will and to know him and to know that he knows you and to know that he knows you so well that you can ask him, know me more. That's what the purpose of prayer is. And to know him so much that you know his purposes that you will be able to walk in a life worthy of the manner of the calling. And then finally, just to trust him. The power of prayer really is to trust him because there is no power in prayer unless you truly lean on Jesus. So church, I'm asking you, are we desperate? Are we desperate for God in a midst, in a situation where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow? We don't know what the restrictions are going to be. We don't know how our emotional health and our mental health is going to be. But we, who, who are we going to trust? Who are we going to trust? It has to be the Lord Jesus. It has to be God. It has to be the by the power of his spirit. That's our prayer together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we thank you, Lord, that the faith that we have in you is not uh, just a, a, a mist. It doesn't just come and go. The faith that we have in you is being challenged and tried and tested, especially now. It's tested in so many ways. And this is a good thing. This is a good thing because it's all part of your plan. You want us to seek you. You want us to know you. We, you want us to trust you at this time into the future. And you want us to be believers that will proclaim your name in love and good work. And in, 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 the, in the name of Jesus, proclaim your gospel. So Lord God, help us. Help us to be people of prayer. Help us to be in our closets to pray in the secret place, to call out to your name. Help us to seek you with all of our hearts. Help us to be a community of believers encouraging one another in prayer. Help us not to forget how important it is to pray with one another, for one another, and to pray for your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. Oh God, may this be the point of revival. Let us not be turning back. Let us not be making any excuses, oh God. And may you do a mighty work in my life, in the life of everyone who believes in you and trusts you. We thank you, Lord God, 
for your purposes are sure and good. In Jesus' name, amen.